Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Scott Weldon Rodenberg, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, uh, our football guy on the podcast to talk a little bit of Pete Golding and then a lot about the quarterback scenario that as we sit here on a Thursday is already kind of unfolded as Ole Miss has landed both Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard from the transfer portal. What and I recorded this on a Tuesday night. So like, if it sounds weird, cause we're not speaking in absolutes, it's because it, everything had not quite broken yet, but everything in the podcast held up pretty well because um, we both kind of knew it seemed pretty much imminent that both were going to come and comprise what is now a very crowded quarterback room for Ole Miss. So we got into that, some golding thoughts, and uh, of course the fastest growing segment on American Soil Soccer Corner to wrap up the pod. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval and Advanced Modeling Mechanism, that has helped propel Skybox at the top of the sports handicapping industry. May I give you a couple of stats from Skybox in 2023? In week one, they ended up plus 5.3 units in college basketball. You think, hmm, that might be nice. I didn't end up plus 5.3 units. I had to pay out my bookie. Well, how about week two of 2023? Skybox went a remarkable 65-43 in 43 in their college basketball plays, a total of 509 units in the positive as i've been telling you guys if you listen to this podcast for weeks and months or years or however long you've been listening skybox absolutely murders it when to come when it comes to college basketball they are awesome in the nfl they're awesome in college ba- uh, football they're awesome really in all sports but for whatever reason their numbers their matrix absolutely murders college basketball and if you're not on board yet you definitely should you're definitely giving away free money if you don't i can promise you if you like to wager on nfl playoffs and college basketball you are not going to have the success rate that skybox sports picks does it's just a fact of the matter at this point all you have to do is go online skyboxsportspicks.com sign up for a picks package you can try it for a day a week, a month, you can go all sports, you can go just NFL, you can go just go college basketball, whatever you want. I'd recommend going for the year-long all-access pass. It will pay for itself and then some. And boom, you're all of a sudden essentially guaranteed to profit in the long run the way they're going. And I'm talking about profit huge. And you're definitely better positioned than you were five minutes before trying Skybox Sports Picks. When you do go online and buy a picks package, use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off. Stop paying the bookie. Have the bookie pay you. Skybox is the only way to do that in the long run. Check them out. SkyboxSportsPicks.com. So glad to have them a part of the Rippy Rights podcast. They just basically print money for our customers, which is good for me and good for you. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford, a crown jewel of the Oxford community. For Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You're going to get a couple of newsletters from me this week on focusing on basketball and a little bit of football as well. And you get discounted meats. Greg has switched up the Rippy Wright special. It is now three Six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 value there. You're getting for 20 bucks. All you have to do is go in and show him proof of subscription and he'll get you set up with the three bacon wrap fillets. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. But then go browse around the store, find your own favorites. There's all kinds of delicious seafood, sausages, all kinds of delicious cuts of meat. I love the tri tips, I love the fillet burgers. 
It is truly the greatest butcher shop in the world. Greg wants to make your grilling cooking experience great. If he doesn't have it, he can get it for you. He's very approachable. Just go over there in there, tell him what you want, and he'll get it for you and make it happen. He is the man. Check him out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Weldon Rodenberg. All right, we gave him a grand total of about nine days in the offseason. We brought him back, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg, uh, geared up for a bachelor trip this weekend, your own bachelor trip. How do you prepare for your own bachelor party, man? Well, there hasn't been a lot of production at work this week, uh, that's for sure. Uh, a lot of figuring out how much money I'm able to lose over there in Las Vegas, Um you know, coordinating a trip with nine guys is is pretty pretty difficult. I know technically it's not my job, but my little brother uh, did a pretty shit job of it. So we kind of had to <laughs> we kind of had to piece it all together. Um, my uh, my dad and my uncles are actually coming as well. Um, they are all really enjoy Las Vegas, and I was like, you know what? If you want to come, maybe comp a dinner for the crew. Uh, you are more than welcome to. So uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's been a lot of traveling. I was in uh, Fairhope, Alabama, this past weekend doing some kind of wedding prep with my fiance. We're getting married at the Grand Hotel down there. Oh, that place is awesome. Yeah, it's going to be great. We've um. My grandparents had a place there. We have a place there. We've spent a large majority of my time in, in, down there uh, in Gumpland. Um, came back, been at work a few days, but really it's all all eyes and minds set to Las Vegas right now. <laughs> Why Fairhope? Is your girlfriend a Louisiana girl or is she from there? She's she's from Baton Rouge. Uh, we're, we're both from Baton Rouge, but um, like my girlfriend, fiance, Jesus, I'm just butchering. Oh, shit it's whatever. I, I get it mixed up all the time. It's not good. <laughs> um, should her her aunt actually used to live there? Okay. Uh, like I said, my grandparents have had a a house there uh, for like 30 years. I mean, I, I literally have been there my entire life. Um, my my parents bought a place there probably about 12 years ago. Um, and we got engaged there. Uh, her mom got engaged there. Uh, okay. It's just like a, it's just a weird connection. It's hard to kind of explain, you know, like some people like they spend their lives if, if they are not in from their hometown and somewhere else, you know, like a lot of New Orleans people, it's like they had these places in like Mississippi and, you know, wherever it is, uh, you always kind of have like a sort of a second home. And that's kind of been that for my entire life. So we knew once we got engaged and, and we're going to get married, we were going to find a way to make it work there. Um, and we have so far. So pretty excited about that. Bachelor parties in Vegas sound pretty awesome. I've only met your lovely fiance by polluting up her uh, peaceful Sundays on the other side of y'all's <laughs> apartment for nearly two years now. But should I just give her a call like two days in and just be like, we fucked up. <laughs> we don't know where he is. I'm not even on the trip, but I've heard bad things. That he might be gone. I mean, she she's like oddly nervous about it only because so we went. I just this, this will be my third time in Las Vegas. Um, and the first time I went was for my 21st birthday. And there were some stories from that trip. We'll put it that way. And she has heard all of them. So she's like, OK, now you're you're six years older. Like, have we changed? Like, is anything different uh, on your third trip over there? And I've been trying to, like, stress to her as much as I can, like, look like. Every single person on this trip is either engaged, married, or has a significant other. Like, we are going to gamble, watch football, eat good food. Um, I mean, Vegas is my favorite place in the world. Um, I would go 
more if I could afford it. Um, but it, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to play golf. You know, we can do the whole deal. I mean, I'm wearing my golf pullover from last time I went to Vegas, uh, played Shadow Creek. I mean, it's just the best. I mean, it's so much fun. So she'll have to get over it. She's fine. She's not even here to complain about it or see me off anyway. She's in she's in Baton Rouge. So I've got plenty of time to myself to get prepared. The uh, the the bachelor party crew being partnered up and having significant others has to be oddly reassuring because what can really throw a wrench in things is the very single guy who's going to find the drug dealer, the strip club, and everything with about ten minutes of getting there. That's how a bomb goes off on the bachelor trip. So she probably had to be pretty reassured by that. Yeah. But we well, do we have one. Make- we have one of those. We have one of those, and that one um, has never been to Las Vegas before. <laughs> oh man! So we no, do there, have a there is there on. is that outside chance of of issues um, of with him, but um, honestly, I'm looking forward to him having a blast because he's gonna he's gonna eat Las Vegas up. Well, we hope and pray you make it back in one piece. And if you do, we'll probably have some sort of spring football deal. If you're not still hung over a month or so later from that thing. <laughs> As of right now is the order of business. Ole Miss, a lot of Ole Miss news. You know, I had Chase on last night and we covered some of the same stuff, but I, you know, I'd originally reached out to both of y'all to talk like just kind of a plethora of topics as I was a little bit, a little bit of a content law. And then the content machine from the football standpoint really generated back up. Ole Miss has hired a defensive coordinator and Pete Golding. Uh, that was kind of on the verge of happening towards the end of last week. We'll talk some quarterback stuff as Ole Miss seems to be making pretty good traction in the transfer portal there. But I guess we'll start because you and I haven't talked, at least on air, uh, since the uh, defensive coordinator hired. Ole Miss has hired Pete Golding to become its next defensive coordinator. He spent four years out of at Alabama, was at UTSA before that. A lot of Mississippi ties, played college football at Delta State. I believe his wife is from Cleveland, Mississippi. Southern guy. What did you make of this hire? Were you surprised that it happened? What did you kind of make of the entire situation? What do you think of the hire? Well, it's always fascinating when you make a hire like this when technically on paper you don't have an opening at defensive coordinator. Um, I saw always... a site put out Ole Miss fills his defensive coordinator vacancy. And I was like, did they have one? I don't know if that's actually how that worked. Uh, it feels like it's just kind of a weird part of this deal that's like, I mean, it's been talked about, um, but like not like, really in-depthly by anyone except for, you know, this site who that are the podcasts that I've listened to from Rebel Grove for the last few weeks. Um, but I, overall, I mean, I, I do believe it's an upgrade um, for multiple reasons. One, I mean, Pete Golding has obviously been incredibly successful at his job, despite what Alabama fans will tell you. I mean, his defense has been top 10 in the country year in, year out. Um, not only that, but he is – uh, a really, really good recruiter. We can get into some of that a little bit later. Um, and most importantly, he's a very good recruiter in your recruitable states. He has been in Alabama for five years now. He has Mississippi ties. He's from Hammond, Louisiana. He's probably been easily the most successful coach to go into Louisiana and take LSU kids uh, in probably in the last 10 years. I mean, truly, he's he has really, really won some very important battles there. And that's I can tell you, is not easy to do. Um, he spent time in Texas at UTSA, at least enough time to know some people. Um, he's been all around. Um, he, you know, he's not without his fair share of controversy. He had a little issue in Tuscaloosa last year. Um, but honestly, besides that, it's really no issues. It, it's a bit pretty big hire. And of course, you know, there's always the pushback of like, why is he here? You know, obviously, in my opinion, if Saban had just was dying to keep him, 
like no, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. He'd probably still be there. But at the end of the day, I think it's just a win-win for both parties. You know, Saban can go try to replace him with somebody he wants, a change of scenery. And for Golding, he has an opportunity to continue a streak of really impressive, you know, years on his resume. Uh, I guess a, a little change of scenery as well, which is also always good. I mean, you know, a lot of these coaches, it's just sometimes it's enough is enough. Um, so, I mean, it's good. It's good on all sides. It, it's a pretty big hire for Ole Miss. It's one they tried to do when I was there. Uh, I think I texted you and told you, I remember, um, actually the day where, you know, the whole ghosting kind of started and I, I've never, you know, Matt Luke's a pretty positive guy. He was not a happy guy at practice that day. And, you know, I wasn't, that was still a student working at that point. So it's not like I really knew exactly what was going on, but I knew something was definitely, uh, a little off there, but, He's finally here. Uh, he's a very good football coach. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. He's an incredible recruiter. Uh, it's a pretty big deal for Ole Miss. The 2019 courtship of Pete Golding is interesting to me because you were working on staff, as you just mentioned, for Matt Luke at the time. And we talked about this after the fact, but I'd kind of heard the same thing that you did about how, like, kind of got to, like, the 11th hour. And from what I understand, they just never heard back from the guy. And as someone has pulled a fair share of Irish goodbyes at the bar, ghosted some folks through the years from one reason or another, like, is that really how that can happen in the coaching industry? Like you go down the road, you're not interested anymore. Maybe you don't feel like you have the balls or the comfort level to just be like, hey, sorry, I'm going to pass it. you just like, sorry, new phone. What's up? Like, is that literally how you understand it to have happened? That's my understanding. I really like truly don't know much more than that. Um, I obviously don't have a whole lot of connections to the agency side and the coaching side of things. Um, that's just a different deal. I mean, it happens recruiting all the time with players where you just like don't hear from a kid or from his handler or coach for, you know, a few days, you know, leading up to signing day or whatever. You're like, well, this can't be good, you know, or you go see on whatever. You know, it's a bad sign. Basically, it's not like you're going to get the. 11th hour phone call and be like, okay, now I'm good after 48 hours of not talking to you. So that's my understanding of what happened. Um, you know, my memory is pretty, you know, I don't really totally remember exactly the, the time date details of it all. It's all a little fuzzy, um, but it was definitely a unique deal. And I think it's, it's interesting that he's now coming back. Uh, you know, it's a different stage in his career. It's a different stage with his time in Alabama, um, you know, obviously things change over three years, over a pandemic, yada, yada, yada. Who knows what the real reasoning, who knows if Saban wanted him back. At the end of the day, none of that really matters for Ole Miss. Um, you can, you know, let fans on message boards on both sides have their, you know, opinions and thoughts on it. But at the end of the day, they got a really good defensive coordinator that replaced a guy who, you know, he really wasn't that bad. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, I really don't think he was, but I think it was – a uh, a swapping that makes sense um, for all parties, like I mentioned earlier. So it, it's only really a net positive for me. There's been a lot of discussion, as you alluded to earlier, about why Pete Golding is at Ole Miss and what happened with the Alabama aspect of things. And like anything else, fans want to hear it from like a black and white standpoint. I think that's somewhat how we got the whole conspiracy that the Lane Kiffin to Auburn was just media manufactured stuff, which is just an absolutely wild theory, in my opinion. But these situations are fluid. It's just like any other job negotiation in that sense. Yes, football coaches are much different. They're much more highly paid. It's a different industry than, you know, I don't know, private equity or finance or whatever. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, being between jobs, situations often being fluid, 
there is a common thread in that regard. And so, I mean, look, I think we both, any rational person probably agrees with the same line of thinking that we do, that if Nick Saban badly wanted Pete Golding back, he probably finds a way to stay at Alabama. But the two extremes of that are kind of what's being talked about more so than kind of the middle ground where the truth probably actually lies. And I guess what I mean by that is the way I viewed it, and I mentioned this to Chase on the last podcast, but without being super repetitive, I viewed the two situations as mirror images of each other. You mentioned Partridge not being that bad. And like if Pete Golding is not available, Partridge is probably Ole Miss's defensive coordinator in the fall of 2023. Whereas Alabama, Golding had been there for four years. The results are not maybe what Alabama fans are accustomed to, despite them not being bad by any stretch of the imagination. You know, Jim Leonard's available. There's some Jeremy Pruitt buzz going on with that. But if those two guys, one of which Saban's worked with before, I don't think he's worked with Leonard, but I'd have to go back and look that up. If those so types either. of candidates weren't available, Pete Golding probably is the defensive coordinator at Alabama next year, or if those don't work out, is that how you viewed it too? They seem like mirror images of each other where it's like, all right, we're not firing this guy and having a vacancy and hiring a replacement, but hey, this better option is kind of lingering itself in kind of the uh, peripheral as being a possibility Let's pursue it. And it seems like to me in some in, in some form that happened on both sides here. Yeah, I mean, it's not a total apples to apples comparison, but think about what's going on with Kendall Bryles at Arkansas right now. Yeah. Um, now, I, I would consider, obviously, TCU and Arkansas to be a more, you know, an even playing field compared to Alabama and Ole Miss. But Kendall Bryles has been very good at Arkansas. He has made K.J. Jefferson a, a guy that a lot of people did not know if he could be a power five quarterback into one hell of a football player. And, you know, sometimes a change is just needed for, for everybody. And it looks like he's probably going to TCU, or at least that's like the rumblings if that happens. You know, it's not exactly the same as this Golding scenario because, you know, you don't really know if Arkansas can replace, you know, a guy like that of an equal standing. And, you know, for TCU, it's like, you know, it's a good coordinator there. Maybe they were unhappy over here. We're going to be really happy we have him because we know he's a good coordinator. It, it's a similar kind of scenario there. But, yeah, for Alabama's side – I mean, they're never going to have an issue, you know, getting really, really productive, uh, impressive coordinators that the past you know, track record is there. Um, it just might have been a timing thing. It's just, you know, there's guys out there that maybe Saban wants. Maybe he wants to do something a little bit differently. He did not fire Pete Golding. That's for damn sure. I mean, you would have known that. Um, right. So, Exactly. So it, it, I don't think it's it's anything more, you know, ominous or suspicious than – he probably was like, yeah, you know, if you want to go to Ole Miss, I'm not probably not going to stop you. I'll, I'll I'll make it work here. Probably even better for both parties. And for Pete, you know, this is a place he almost went before. It's a place he's got familiarity with, at least from, a you know, having been in the state for a while and family connections. It's just I don't think there's that much to it. It's just it's we didn't steal him and he didn't, you know, leave on his like without his own volition. You know, it, it's just is what it is. And I, like I said, it's just a net positive for Ole Miss. And from that aspect of it, too, is fascinating to me is the one in this modern day and age of college football, spending four years anywhere, whether it's an assistant or hell as a head coach. I mean, remember, there was once a world when we were kids that if you got a head coaching job, you got pretty much four years to turn it around. Boy, were those the days. That's not the case anymore. But as an assistant anyway, like it's the same kind of deal. And so, like, it's one of those things where it's like, ah, uh, probably time for a split here. But to your point, 
I, he definitely wasn't fired. And I, again, I'm reading the tea leaves here and I've talked, I'm working on a Golding story as we speak, not to spill too much of it, but I've talked to some people who know Golding pretty well over the last couple of days, particularly as it pertains to his kind of roots at Delta State. And there was an element of this, I think, of kind of the taxing nature of working for Nick Saban that probably played a role in this as well. And I know particularly for like opposing fans, that's not what they want to hear because they just want to hear that, you know, he was going to be fired by Alabama. So he had to jump ship to Ole Miss, which I don't believe is the case either. I guess to package that into a question, I know I'm asking you to speculate here. I'm doing the very same thing, somewhat educated after, you know, some conversations with some people today, you mentioned he definitely wasn't fired by Alabama, but I don't get the impression he got the Phil Longo treatment of, hey, you can't come back here next year, so look. I don't believe that to be true, either just reading the tea leaves. Do you? Uh, I'm not sure. That's pretty difficult to say. Right. Um, my guess would be no. I mean, I just don't see why. But, you know, when we have those other candidates out there. And, of course, those are all rumored. You know, and they haven't been rumored for months. They've been rumored for days since Golding left that, oh, you know, this is actually who he's been going after forever. So, it is what it is. Uh, I don't think it's the same exact thing as that um, because, you know, how much success he's had, you know, and that success is seen, you know, in the eye of the beholder, you know, Bama fans are about as spoiled as you get. Um, so I understand their frustrations with, you know, losing two football games this year. Um, you know, I, I get it. Uh, but long ago, I think it's kind of a little different, a different deal where it was like, okay, you know, we rushed him up here and it, it kind of is what it is though. Credit to Longo is he's been pretty darn successful in North Carolina. And now moving on to Wisconsin, I know he's been kind of a running joke amongst Ole Miss people, but you know, guys kind of figured it out a little bit. He's a, he's a pretty damn good offensive coordinator. Um, but no, I don't think it's an exact similar scenario. From the Ole Miss standpoint, you talked about this a second ago. As soon as I texted you about the hire, you're like, this is definitely an upgrade. You are a Golding fan, as you, I think, put it in the text, despite what Alabama fans want to tell you. There's a Partridge aspect of this where I got to be sitting there thinking, like, if I'm Partridge, I'm sitting there thinking, damn, like, I got kind of a raw deal here. I wasn't that bad. Like, the guy I worked for in 2020 and 20, or 2021 actually kind of sucked in 2020. And then, like, he got a chance to rectify it. I know that's kind of the nature of the business. But I guess to actually package that into a question, people tried to diminish the – like, as they were kind of – as I saw this a lot on the message board, diminish Partridge's recruiting prowess um, in order to kind of justify – the golden hire. And I don't think that is necessarily fair because again, as I'll reiterate, as I did on the previous show, uh, Partridge was named national recruiter of the year by scout.com before it went defunct. Then the next year by two, four, seven has been named a top five recruiter, like two or three times since he's a very good recruiter, but he's a Northeastern guy who came from a big 10 school that doesn't have a ton of Southern roots. It would seem the trade-off to find to a Southern guy who knows the South worked in the SEC for a while, you know, again, just grew up in the South. I can't reiterate that enough would be a pretty fine trade-off when you're talking about recruiting prowess because Partridge was a good recruiter. I think you can speak firsthand to that, but it does seem like a little bit of a more natural fit from that standpoint. Uh, I can, it a hundred percent is, you know, Partridge is a very good recruiter, uh, but his main ties, you know, not that you're incapable of creating new ones. I think that's something that people like completely forgetting this is that, you get to introduce yourself to new people and create new connections. And Partridge was great at that because what good recruiters do. 
but his, I mean, foothold was in the Northeast and, you know, being at Ole Miss, it's not a pipeline that really needs to be created uh, at all. It can't be a priority for you. Um, they, they've gotten good players. Of course, the two really good ones they've got are now gone. Um, so that's kind of, you know, what you get the roster attention these days, you know, is so slim with the portal now that it just becomes even slimmer. You know, if you're recruiting guys nationally, they're like, you know, they don't play in Ole Miss and they're from California or they're from, New York, or they're from Ohio, like, you know, that that going home is going to happen just so much quicker uh, compared to if you, you know, you're getting a player of a similar caliber from Cleveland or from Jackson or from Tuscaloosa, you know, you never know. Uh, Golding is a, you know, Southern guy through and through when it comes to his background and his recruiting chops. Like I mentioned, I mean, the players he's gotten out of Louisiana, of course, with Nick Saban's help, you know, with all you know, this coaching staff's help, but he's the Louisiana guy for Alabama, and he's gotten guys like Kendrick Law, like Shaz Preston. I mean, these are at least in the recent classes that have just you know, those are guys LSU really, really wanted. Uh, you know, Aaron Anderson, even though he ended up transferring and going back to LSU, uh, that's another guy they got, and you know, it just it kind of the list goes on and on for the past few years of those head-to-head battles. Um, I know the common question is, well. You know, what's he going to be able to do without the Alabama, you know, tag with him? And, you know, that's a very valid question. Um, but I think, you know, the relationships you create at Ole Miss saying that, you know, we've done this at Alabama. Kiffin does it for every single kid he recruits. It's like, hey, this is what we did at Alabama, what we're going to do here. Or USC, what we're going to do here. You know, coaches do that all the time. Um, he's going to probably be a really good relationship builder. It's something they need on that staff from a coordinator position, you know, I'm a Charlie Weiss fan. I get it, but he's pretty young. You know, he probably hasn't gotten the recruiting chops yet. He's got the playbook stuff down, uh, you know, if you're willing to believe it. Um, But having a a coordinator that's as good of a recruiter as Golding is probably something that this staff needed. Um, Not taking anything away from what Partridge can do and what he's clearly very capable of doing, but it's just a different dynamic with Golding in my opinion. What just again, pure speculation here, but I think a lot of the people, a lot of people out there, you know, as the three, two, six kind of became public message board enemy number one. Golding comes from the Ron Roberts tree. That's really kind of got his start. He started as a GA under his college coach, Rick Rhodes, for a year. Uh, Ron Roberts was either there or assumed the position after it. I don't remember. The guy spent six years as a head coach at Delta State, was a defensive coordinator. Actually, an interesting nugget that I learned today was at one point. Delta State had Ron Roberts, Pete Golding, and Dave Aranda on the same yeah. staff. And I think I, Aranda and Golding were like roommates. Yeah, and they uh, shockingly played for a national title. Not shockingly, played for a national title one of those years. I'd say that's a pretty good staff to have hold up in Cleveland, Mississippi. But Roberts, 425, kind of multiple guy. Pete Golding, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of 43 at Alabama. It does seem fairly likely. Again, he may adjust it to personnel that you're going to get more of a, th- a four-man front. But, like, what do you, from a schematic standpoint, like, what jumps out to you is what might be different under Golding as opposed to Partridge? Uh, I think he's more of a 3-4 guy. 3-4, um, okay. Yeah, which, you know, that is technically three down, but that's usually playing with kind of a Jack Buck linebacker that kind of can, you know, shift into a four down. But, you know, all these defenses are so multiple. That could be your base package. And when you go to nickel, things change. So, I – I'm not going to pretend to like be an expert in defensive scheme and exactly what he's going to bring to the table. Um, But I do think it'll probably be his defense. Um, He'll probably have a lot more autonomy. 
than he had at Alabama, I would guess, uh, even though I know Saban, you know, really, really, really liked him, you know, despite what, like I said, what all Alabama people will tell you. Um, I think they're going to have to still rebuff that defensive roster pretty heavily. Um, you know, this portal window is almost over. I think they're going to kind of evaluate where they're at in the spring, uh, maybe at a high school player or two in February. I have no idea. I've seen nothing about that, so maybe not. Uh, and then kind of really evaluate the the second portal window after they see the guys that they've got and, and probably add a lot to that defense. I think it's really necessary. So, you know, your defense is only as good as your players. You know, this is not the NFL. You, there's no Vic Fangio out there or, you know, Dennis Allen sucks as a head coach, but there's no Dennis Allen defensive coordinators that just make it work. Um, you got to have players in college, and that's going to be the most important thing. I do think um, Golding's going to probably do a pretty damn good job recruiting, and this 24 Mississippi class um, looks to be pretty darn deep, um, which is kind of that one or two in the four-year cycle where you get one like this, and he's going to have his work cut out for him. Yeah, you you rightly corrected me. I can't read my own handwriting here. I misspoke on the four three thing. I read, I no watched way. it. I read a couple <laughs> articles and watched a YouTube video today on Golding's kind of transition from a three four to mixing in some four two five stuff at Alabama. That I found as someone who doesn't know football, admittedly that well, very fascinating. And so I think you'll probably, you know. Given personnel, I don't know what that looks like next year. Probably see a little bit more of a variety of looks and an Ole Miss being a little bit more multiple. I think it's probably safe to say you're probably not getting the three, two, six, but at the same time, they got to find linebackers. Like they got to find somewhere to do it. Like it's going to be fascinating to kind of see what that looks like, particularly in year one and how they kind of reshape this roster. Kind of the last note on the Golding side of it, there's been, I'd say, some mild rumors or buzz in agency circles about Golding's potential. Uh, to take over as head coach should Lane Kiffin leave in the somewhat immediate future. Would you see that as realistic, a good fit? What do you think about that? I'll call it speculation, even though I would say somewhat educated speculation. What do you think about that theory? I think the theory makes sense. I, I think it's probably why at the end of the day he made this move. I think that was probably the priority of, you know, I'm be under Saban. You know, I, I can probably get a head coaching job from here, but it'll probably look even better to go to another SEC school that's not Alabama and, you know, provide the same results. And then, of course, yes, there's always going to be the Lane Kiffin stuff, you know, despite what he probably should do. He probably won't ever, you know, at least proclaim that he is just fully in and committed. So having a guy in Golding to be in the building as a guy who's been really experienced around the SEC and, you know, has head coach potential to maybe be the next guy, I mean, I think it makes sense. To, to have that possibility, I wouldn't, you know, call him a shoe-in to be the coach if Lane leaves for, like, Miami next year or something or whoever knows. I'm just I'm just making that up from a, a team that sucks um, that should fire their coach. But That's your boy. <laughs> yeah, that's my boy. He's about to lose his top recruit to, to Dion after being committed for six months. That's, that's your boy. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I get why that's, like, the, 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 bread, the brain kind of leads you to that conclusion um and it makes sense i don't know if i necessarily believe that but i wouldn't be totally shocked if in two years three years he's still here has been really good ends up being your coach in a relatively smooth transition you grew up as is now infamously known um in baton rouge grew up watching lsu football you work for old miss football 
for what three years at least what probably longer than that i guess is a part-time yeah, like but you've been inside that program what do you make of i mean you weren't go you haven't been gone that long what do you make of Ole Miss paying its football coach nine million dollars a year defensive coordinator almost too that's a different level than Ole Miss has ever swam at before what do you make of that i mean obviously it's a good thing they're bought in it's now seemingly the ball is completely in lane kiffin's court but just as someone that's kind of watched this evolve over the last three to five years what do you make of them kind of wading into these waters i don't necessarily knew I got to be honest. I don't know that I knew they had that in them. And it's a definitely a good thing. It's an exciting thing for a fan and otherwise kind of dumpy time to be a fan of college football with all this chaos. But what do you make of that? Because again, it's way different than anything we're accustomed to as someone who's lived this most of my life. No doubt. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of money and that's not even including the fact that they just ripped up Chris Partridge's contract. That's true. Who knows, who knows what his buyout was. I'm sure it wasn't cheap. Uh, and then he had to relay that into paying Golding $2 million a year. Um, but that's just kind of the age of college football. You're either in or you're out. Um, I mean, I always go back to, to Georgia. But to Tech. that point, there's some schools that you would think of predominantly on Ole Miss's level that are kind of out, that are not doing this, and Ole Miss no. has chosen to be in, which is kind of my point. Georgia Tech's an example. I mean, you know, obviously they have not been very good recently. You know, Paul Johnson, the triple option, they were pretty good. You would think that Georgia Tech, like in the heart of Atlanta, in a, a conference that's pretty gettable with recruits all around would be in, and, like, they just simply aren't. You know, I wouldn't consider them on Ole Miss's level, but, like, you could make a case that at one point they could have been. Right. Um, and, you know, they, like, didn't even – chuck up the money for freaking Willie Fritz, who is just wins everywhere he goes. Um, I mean, they just wouldn't do it. Like, we're going to go with the interim. We don't want a guy that just won a sugar bowl against USC. You know, we, we're not going to. Why would you want that? Why, why on earth would you want that at an academic institution uh, that doesn't win a lot of games that he uh, now has won a lot of games there. But um, you, you're, like I said, you're either in or you're out. Um, and for a million, myriad of reasons, millions of reasons, uh, being in in football is important. It is a gateway to your university. Um, Ole Miss is not necessarily known as an academically prestigious institution. Uh, if you want to get a lot of different kids, being really good at football, being nationally relevant on the only product that actually makes money for TVs is important. I mean, Alabama has changed their academic profile in the past five to 10 years because of the success of the Alabama football team. They've been able to invest more money into the university, uh, into infrastructure, into students. Uh, they, they now you know, offer incredible scholarships and are getting guys and girls that have, you know, academic prestige to go into, you know, Ivy League schools. You see stories all the time about like, oh, like I made a 36 in my ACT, got into every Ivy League school and I ended up going to Alabama. It's like that's, you know, kind of the goal is to continue to build your university through the most public thing that you have which is football yes you also want to win football because everyone just wants to win it's competitive it's prideful it's it's college football that's you know there's it's not a business i mean it is a business but it's not a franchise you know it's this is all being done with pride uh and with donor money and you know you keep winning you keep getting more of that money and you keep building and building and building and you, and you see what clemson has become these days I and mean, that's a completely changed university because of football it's 100%. really important. And when everyone understands that, including the university president, the athletic director, the football coach, you know, the quote unquote alignment that everyone loves to, to throw out there. I mean, you can get real success. That being said, the excuses for, for Lane and, and Ole Miss are gone now. 
completely gone. There, there should be no more. Um, the NIL money is there, I guess. You know, everyone just makes it up these days, but at least it seems to be there. Not a lot of complaining about it, and they've they've done pretty well in the portal. I think they're about to get another kid, uh, maybe as we're recording this. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that later. Um, now, you know, with all the money and all the investment has to come the results. And I think the golden hire is, is a really important one. I think it's one that gets you closer to those goals. Um, and you know, you just got to see it now. It's just got to happen. It's just no other way to say it. You're, you're there, you're bought in financially, uh, and competitively. Now you just got to go win. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I think this is a very fascinating conversation and we won't get too off in the weeds to it because it's probably a conversation for another day. But between NIL, the transfer portal, and really it's a variety of different factors. It's kind of the gradual buildup of the TV money in college football, coaching salaries, what they become. In my mind, the way I viewed this, in the last 24 to 36 months, all of these factors that have kind of pushed the landscape of college football to change have really taken, like has really forced a lot of programs, as we talked about earlier, to kind of make a decision. You can be proactive, you can be reactive, and if you're reactive, you're probably going to end up behind the eight ball and out, or you can be proactive and in. And, you know, over the last, like, two months, we've caught a little bit of shit for being critical of Lane Kiffin, and it's like this narrative of, like, we don't like Lane Kiffin, which is just really silly. He's made Ole Miss football relevant. I would argue Lane Kiffin could go down as the most important hire in Ole Miss football history from the sheer standpoint of when he came in, and what he did immediately, and forcing Ole Miss to be on the forefront of things. Because as someone that's been around this for most of my life, Ole Miss is perpetually kind of behind in a lot of stuff. That's kind of how they operate. It's, you know, again, I don't know, begin to know who to blame that on, but they're generally a couple years lagging behind what is kind of the cutting edge. That is no more. They are paying the football coach $9 million a year. They're paying a coordinator $2 million a year. They sacked up. And as Lane Kiffin kind of held their feet to the fire, the extreme version of that might be extortion. They answered the bell with the NIL money and Ole Miss is there. And from a standpoint of like what we used to consider the haves and the have nots outside of history and maybe the stadium. But if you look at from a sheer financial standpoint and the capabilities, like the label of Ole Miss being a have not, I don't think is accurate anymore other than the proven success. They've shown themselves to be able to fork up financially whatever it needs to do to win at a high level. That is a credit to Kiffin. That's a credit to Keith Carter. And that's a credit to the fan base. But you look around elsewhere and that's not happening. Mississippi State's best player, Tulu Griffin, is in the transfer portal. I was texting Michael Borky, good friend of the show, former co-worker of mine at Super Talk. I don't think he'd mind me sharing this. He was saying they caught people were state fans were mad on the show today about Tulu Griffin. And again, this is all alleged. 50,000 bucks and it's like state can match it, but the kid wants to go elsewhere. My question would be like, why not offer him a hundred K sounds like your best player. Oh, Mrs. Running back just got like half a million bucks. Where's the money. Like they could be in that position, but they've made a conscious choice not to be. And I don't think that should go understated because that is not what Ole Miss has been for a long time. And a lot of people deserve a pat on the back for that. If that makes sense. It does make complete sense. Uh, But like you said, Everything is there, but the results have to be there. Which is the Uh, next step of this. It is absolutely the next step. I mean, winning your division is the next step. Making the playoffs, maybe not 23, but guess what? You can't throw away a season anymore. You can't go, you know, seven and five, be like, oh, shucks, just wasn't our year. Like, no, that's not the case anymore. 
Next year will be an optically important year. They're not a college football playoff player, but how does it look? And then it turns into playoff or bust in 2024, really bar none. I mean, next year you have to do, in my opinion, you have to beat one of Alabama, LSU, or Georgia. Oh, I like that. You got to beat one of them. Um, I think that's been sort of the case that people have made with Lane recently is like, where is that signature big win? Um, I, I think next year – he can he can go eight and four, and you know I, I can understand it. Or nine and three, um, seven and five. That that would be a pretty tough pill to swallow with with what everything that's going on with this program, the positive momentum it has. He's got to beat one of those teams. That is going to be very difficult. Alabama will be down. It will be in Tuscaloosa. That's not an easy place to win, um, but it's possible. LSU, they are going to be really good next year. You get them at home. That's an advantage, but it's going to be a tough one. At Georgia, who knows what they're going to be? They're going to be really good, <laughs> and it's going to be in, in Athens. It's not going to be an easy one, but you have to get one of those because that's kind of what you're paid to do now. Um, I know that seems like a kind of a weird cop-out. It just kind of, in my opinion, is what it is. That is um, what he's paid to do. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're getting paid top five, top eight money. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to be a top five, top eight every single year. That that's not really realistic for Ole Miss, um, but you better be pretty damn competitive in November and like have things going in the right direction, some buy-in, some success, some big wins, and then once this thing expands, you should be competing to be in it. Um, and that's that's it. And I don't think that's unreasonable either. Um, I don't think Lane would think it's unreasonable. I don't think anybody who's a fan of the team would think that that's an unreasonable expectation at this point. Um, to, to this point, they haven't really been there yet. They haven't, you know, won the division yet, ever, by the way. I mean, they just haven't won it ever. So, yes, everything is there. In well, they IL. tied in 03. That's your favorite banner. That, that's that, that banner. You know what? A, a next great step would be taking it down. <laughs> that should be – it's a really important step, in my opinion, just take it down. Do it. Don't even announce it. Just – Everyone shows up for the Mercer game. It's just not there. All you see is is Eli and and uh, Archie's number and Chucky Mullins and uh, whoever Ben I think Ben Williams is up there. And then everyone look to the left. Shit, where, where's the coach champion sign? It's just not there, and no one ever talks about it ever again. Um, but that's a that's a rant for a different day. Um, but yeah, I mean you, you're 100 right. I mean it's all there for them. It's just a matter of taking it. And next year, it's I think in terms of a satisfactory mark, it's eight and four, but it's also how it looks. You you posed it. From the yes, that's really one. that's really what I mean. You know, I, I say the win one of those games. I think but I think that's an interesting way to look at it. I don't think you're wrong, but no. if you if you lose two of those or all three, how does it look? Are you blown off the doors, or did you lose two tough games on the road and the LSU didn't game didn't go your way, or you get the LSU game and you played the other two really closely, eight and four? And how it looks is why I keep saying 2023 is an interesting optical year for Ole Miss. Right. You're 100%. And like if they go nine and three and they lose, that's all a huge game, game, in my opinion. You know, no one's going to be disappointed, yeah, including myself. And that's that's a good season. Um, People are pumped for 2024 at nine and three. Very pumped. Exactly. Exactly. That means you beat State on the road. You kind of get that one back. You know, you beat Auburn and you freeze. I mean, that that's sure as fuck not going to be a gimme game. I can no. guarantee you that. You know, he'll. He'll have he'll probably lose the game before and the game after, but he's gonna have a game plan ready for that one. I, I can guarantee you that. Um, but yeah, how it looks is going to be incredibly important. And I mean, we're all talking this way. 
or do you just be a really, really good football team and win a lot of games and just don't even worry about it? You know, that's also a possibility. Uh, but it's a really tough schedule. It really is. Um, you could be maybe even a better team this year, and it may not feel like it because of the schedule. And that's not even a, a knock on Ole Miss. I mean, if if LSU had this schedule, if Arkansas had this schedule, you know, Arkansas had it actually like two years ago and you saw what happened. I mean, it's just it's just tough. Get You know, trading Kentucky at home for Georgia on the road, uh, Georgia Tech on the road for Tulane on the road. I mean, that's just really difficult. It, well, Tulane's just, like really a snake pit now. That game looks like yeah. just an absolute house of horrors for Ole Miss. I think they yeah. probably, if they play well, win the game. But that, oh, when that was scheduled, that's a gimme win. Guess what? It is not now. Not even yeah. close. It's, it's probably not. But if you don't win that game, we're having a completely different conversation. So I don't really care that it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be, you know, 99 degrees and humid in uptown New Orleans. So you, you better beat Tulane. Uh, I'm sorry. But yeah, it's still dip- it's still difficult. I mean, that, that's just the facts. But this is the SEC. If you want to play with the big boys, eventually you're going to have to beat the big boys. Last thing before we get to the quarterback aspect of it, because that's kind of really the news topical thing of the day as we record this on a Tuesday evening, probably drop this Wednesday or Thursday. I'm still trying to figure that one out. But the last thing I wanted to get to before that was, so Igbenison, or apparently it's back to Igbenosin now. Chase was pronouncing it Igbenosin. Whatever, Davison Igbenosin, Igbenosin enters the portal. Tashim Johnson enters the portal. Ole Miss, as much good as they've done, we'll get to the quarterback aspect, making a lot of head waves there. They hired Pete Golding, which we both think is a very, very, very good hire. They still have a long way to go from a roster retention and roster reconstruction standpoint and roster replenishment. And I'm just curious, from someone that's worked in recruiting, what odds do you give them to pull one, if any, or either of those two guys who are seemingly fairly important pieces on the football team back from the portal. I'll give a little bit of context. I did an NIL interview with Tashim Johnson uh, back in the summer, and he literally came to Ole Miss because of Chris Partridge. He was a COVID senior year kid. You couldn't really go on visits. Um, the only reason he showed up to Ole Miss beforehand because his high school coach was like, hey, man, if you're going to go here, which he basically was once Partridge got hired, he's kind of a Big Ten recruit. He was like, I guess I'm going to Ole Miss. I'm following this guy. I trust this guy. Like, his high school coach was like, hey, man, you got to go see the place. So his high school coach drove him down in the summer to go. No, I, I remember. Yeah, he just like, like, yeah, watch practice from like the, you know, one of the facilities, which obviously you're not allowed to do. But, he, you know, he just came down by himself and just yeah. like watched from the parking garage and then left. His high school coach basically made him and was like, you need to come see this place. Uh, he gave a very funny anecdote about like, you know, he's a Philly kid, never really been to the South. And he's like, you know, I'd heard some stuff about the South and it wasn't great. But all of a sudden I met this Zaxby's in Alabama. Everybody's friendly and they're saying hey to each other. And we don't do that up in Philly. So I was like, damn, these people are nice. And I was like, yeah, it's not all bad down here, pal. But point being, he came here solely because of Partridge. And that to me would be a harder sell. Benison, definitely a Partridge guy, but Again, I don't know that situation as intimately, but doesn't seem absolutely 100% tied to it. Do you think they can pull one or either of them back? How does that recruiting dynamic work? Because you always hear the, you should commit to the school, not the coach, which is way easier said than done, because that's just not really how it works. Like, Kind of take me through the intricacies of a bond between an assistant coach and a player, how you can maybe pull one back if the coach leaves, and how all of that works, if that makes any sense. I know that's a broad question, but I'm just curious the intricacies of how that works for someone that worked inside the building yeah i mean i think this is definitely a unique one being that partridge has the connections up there these kids are from the northeast in mississippi i mean you know they can say they loved old miss you know as much as they can uh, but i mean taishin like you said barely got to even visit 
Um, Davison did, of course. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty tough to keep these kids. Okay. Um, you know, kind of once these guys get in the portal, man, and then everyone starts contacting them, you get to weigh your options. NIL becomes a factor. You never know if someone shoots out a pretty big offer for a kid like Igbenosin, um, who showed pretty pretty solid potential to true freshman. It, you just never know. And, you know, yeah, they, they came here because their main recruiter was Partridge. Um, that, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's your guy. That's when you got anything going on that's like an issue at Ole Miss. Like, you don't go to anyone but Partridge because that's that's your guy. It's the reason you're here. That's the coach you have the biggest connection with. And that's a real thing. Uh, I mean, look at Caleb Williams at Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's a great place. And when his head coach, his guy left, the reason he came to Oklahoma in the first place, well, he left and he went with him. Um, and so did Mario Williams. So it's not the first time this is like something like this has happened. It's a you know, it's attrition happens when when a coordinator is let go, especially with the control and the recruiting um, that it's done with that side of the ball. Um, I, I put the odds pretty low that either of these kids are back. And uh, I mean, I like Taishim a lot. You know, he's an undersized kid, but he's an incredibly intelligent football player, which is why he's played so early. Um, not irreplaceable, but uh, a big loss. Uh, Igbenosin is is a pretty tough pill to swallow. Particularly um, since battle went to Utah. Exactly. So you're really going to have to replace, you're really going to have to add, you know, two more corners that you believe are capable of playing. Cause you can't just go out there with two guys. I mean, Prince is back and he, he's been great, but if you just have two corners that you are comfortable playing, I mean, you're in real trouble. So um, losing depth, you know, as we talk about it all the time, and that's tough with these two guys, you guys played a lot of snaps uh, it's a loss. There's don't, don't no way to spin it. You know, everyone loves to spin, um, but uh, it's 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 probably not looking great. Um, on that standpoint, I know I'm throwing a lot at you in real time, but as we're recording this, and I don't want to disclose too much reporting behind the uh, the old Rebel Grove paywall, but there is a lot of buzz about Ole Miss potentially having hired a cornerbacks coach from Rutgers. Benoson has a brother that plays there. That was kind of the other place he was going. Do you just off the top of your head again? I realize I'm throwing this at you without any sort of time to think about it. The fact that they would potentially hire a cornerbacks coach from Rutgers, do you think that would help their chances at all? Just a guess. Uh, surely wouldn't hurt. I'm kind of going to look at it myself of what you're saying. Um, definitely Morpheus. I don't know if there's if he has really. I know they recruited him very hard, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like you know they're tied to the hip. Obviously not because he didn't end up going there. Um, but if that ends up being the case, you know, you've probably got a, 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 an extra foothold in there. Um, but it, it doesn't really matter because eventually NIL is going to play a factor into this. I know he's a guy that, you know, obviously deserves some cash, but he's going to get that from somewhere else as well. Potentially, um, you know, where, where does Partridge end up, you know, do other SEC schools, you know, A&M comes to mind, you know, Durkin at least knows this kid pretty well. Um, Auburn has basically called every player, you know, with a pulse on every SEC team and offered him money. You know, I'm sure that'll be a factor. So I, I don't know. I mean, I think it doesn't hurt, but I don't necessarily think that like mends all issues. Last, last thing, because I just sort of randomly thought of it as you mentioned something earlier. If you were on Mississippi, I know you were mostly pre-NIL. If you're on Mississippi State staff, you had an All-American kick returner who's seemingly a dynamic receiver who probably got a little bit underutilized in Tui Griffin in the um, He's in a the fine rate. receiver. He, he really, like, look, Tulu is is a pretty dynamic athlete. Um, he's got pretty unreliable hands. He is yeah. electric as a punt returner and a kick returner. I'm, 
I, this kid is like not all world. I mean, he he really? is he really is not. Um, he's a very good football player. He is not worth all the crap that's been flung around the past few days. That that is definitely true. Would you take him? Absolutely. I know. Is it is it like you know? Is this kid going to be Elijah Moore when he gets your offense? No, he is not. Um, but continue with your question. Sorry. No, no, you're good. That's interesting context. I was just going to ask if you he's don't like. He's there. definitely good. I'm not taking away from it, but like we're we're treating this kid like you, you know he's Justin Jefferson or something. Like it's not that big of a deal. But so the kid on paper, the kid's an All-American. If you were on staff there and you have him go into the portal with seemingly no real reason to, it does sound like the new uh, offensive coordinator hire they had made it very clear he's going to be much more of a priority in the offense. But he gets in the portal. Seemingly NIL is some sort of a factor there. If you were kind of in one of those programs, as we talked about, that's not in the boat, like how demoralizing would that be? Like, would you be sitting in the room being like, Jesus Christ, what the hell are we even doing here? I'm just curious, like putting yourself in shoes of a program like that, where like a couple of your best players enter the portal, some of it NIL, I get it. Some of it's part of the coaching change, but when you don't have that package to reel them back in or the resources, like how demoralizing do you think that would be? Yeah, it's got to be pretty damn frustrating. Um, now, every portal scenario is completely different. Um, right. That, I think that's definitely something to be considered. Um, I think Mississippi State's in a u- unique position because I mean, their head coach passed away. Like right. That is such a different dynamic that anybody can relate to. Um, they've kind of had to patchwork it together since then. Um, they hired Zach Arnett. Uh, who is a great defensive coordinator. There's no doubt about that. You know, would he have ideally been the guy to replace him? Who knows? He's come in. He's hired a staff of guys that, I mean, I don't really know them. They could be great. They could be not. You never, it's a crapshoot. Um, but the, they've had guys leave left and right. You know, Rod Rod Thomas is a hell of a football player. I mean, he's going to Georgia. Um, you know, I think they've had a few other guys that have left. You know, some have gotten in the portal and gotten out. Um, but yeah, I mean, for a guy that for them, it's a it's a really big deal with Tulu in-state guy. It's been there. He's been kind of like you've know, been more and more a part of that team over the past few years. To have him leave kind of out of nowhere for like no particular reason. And if it's just NIL, like that's got to be really frustrating. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it's kind of something you see. You see it a lot more with uh, with college basketball because the way those transfers have worked throughout the years, you know, now with the yeah. one time, it's a little different. But like. Just ask Andy Kennedy. Yeah. I mean, some of these college basketball programs, like the, the the lower end power five and like the really good group of fives, like if one of those guys has like a really good year, they just leave. They're like, yep, yeah, uh, I'm going to take my talents to Kentucky or Florida or even Ole Miss, you know, some of those places. I think you're going to see that, you know, in, in this day and age too. And it, Ole Miss will not be, you know, this will not be exclusive to Mississippi State. It's going to happen to Ole Miss too. Um or, I mean, anybody. It really could happen to anybody. I mean, Walker Howard is leaving LSU. He was a former five-star. They're, they're heir apparent. He is now leaving. Um, so there's always different reasons. But, like, just in particular with the NIL offers for a state like Miss or for a school like Mississippi State who, like, clearly doesn't have it fully together, I mean, they're just going to be a just a poaching ground for everybody if they can't figure it out. I can't believe we made it, like, 45 minutes to an hour without getting to the quarterback piece of it. But finally – we are on to that. Ole Miss, we talked about the uh, lack of Kiffin not uh, signing a high school quarterback the last two years, that being unheard of. I feel like that was misconstrued to some degree to just being a blind criticism. It's just seemingly a different approach, a calculated gamble. 
Um, you know, on Kiffin's signing day press conference, he kind of alluded to the fact that he believes he can build depth in the transfer portal via portal kids with multiple years of eligibility left. And as it stands right now, again, without disclosing too much reporting on that paywall, but I think it's pretty obvious and circulated out wherever at this point, it does appear that they're going to land Walker Howard, the former LSU five stars you alluded to, a lot of TCU buzz there, Jack uh, Betch or whatever his name is. Um, the receiver tight end, whatever, going from LSU to TCU. TCU seemed kind of the natural fit. Seems like Ole Miss has come in and made a real push and is probably going to land him. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to approach this conversation because on top of that, you have Oklahoma State transfer um, Spencer Sanders, who it has been reported, again, I would say go sign up for the most part um, for rebelgrove.com if you want to get the actual information. And I'll be you know, dance around this as best I can, but it sounds like they were kind of the front runner to land uh, Spencer Sanders as well. But we'll start with the Walker Howard piece of this because I feel like our conversation in December was probably construed as overly skeptical, but when something's different, that's only natural. We are more so just like, how is this going to work? Assuming this Walker Howard thing is true and he does end up announcing that he's coming to Ole Miss, that's a gigantic win for this Kiffin theory, is it not? What do you make of them landing Walker Howard? Take this any direction you want to. Um, it would be yes, it would be a, a enormous win for his theory. And I don't know if I'm going to give him so much credit that it's his theory. It's it's kind of everybody's partial theory. Uh, he has made it a massive priority. But to go ahead with with Walker, I mean, he's incredibly good. He is. Um, he is a really good prospect, which I think is important because you never know. This is not scientific. As a prospect, he is the real deal. Um, you can ignore anything that any LSU person tells you from now on, or I mean, from Walker Howard deciding to go to Ole Miss. This guy, according to literally every Batners media member, was electric at practice. Like he was, everyone was like, this guy spins the ball differently, you know he's just a different player. He's not ready yet. He knew he wasn't ready yet. His dad knew he wasn't ready yet. He went to LSU, was perfectly fine with redshirting, um, but things changed. Jaden Daniels came back. Nussmeyer, you know, lit up some third stringers and, you know, things, things just were really different. Um, and I think Walker, this is an important caveat to for Ole Miss people. Like Jaden Daniels won the SEC West with LSU. He is going to be their starting quarterback next year. That is yeah, kind of how it works. You can't bench. That's him. how it works. I don't care how good Howard is at practice. You have a known commodity versus somebody who is a semi unknown commodity, though, as a prospect, 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 he is really, really talented. Um, I mean, you've seen this happen time and time again. You, you just don't take the uncommon's job. So, like, I don't care that. You know, if anybody says, oh, no, Howard, like, didn't have the chest for it, the famous Les Miles quote, or like, oh, he actually just really wasn't that good. He couldn't cut it. Like, that's not the case here. The situation is that he was never going to even get an opportunity to compete this coming year, which was probably not the thought process when he signed up at LSU. Things change every single year. Um, so he ended up leaving. Uh, and now he's coming to old, or I mean, I think he's basically coming to oldness. I don't know that for a fact, but that seems to be the the case. Seems like uh, a foregone conclusion at this point, as we sit here on a Tuesday night. Yes, and it, that's huge. It, it is huge for a number of reasons. One, because he's really damn good. 
Um, two, because you needed a freaking living body in the quarterback room, no matter who it was, because right now you really only have one. Um, you know, my guess is Walker will give, be given ample opportunity to compete for the starting job. Um, the difference between Daniels and Dart is, you know, I'm really high on Dart, but the, the idea that he is completely irreplaceable is definitely not true. Um, so that's it's really good to have a guy to push him to compete with him and, you know, shoot, potentially start. Um, and guess what? If he doesn't start next year, you know, Dart has a really good year. Maybe he goes to the NFL. If he doesn't, you know, that's a story we can get to for another time. Um, but it's huge. And then you get to the Spencer Sanders part, and I simply just don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand it from almost every single angle. I don't understand. I don't either. I don't understand, you know, if Walker is is the guy that's coming in for Ole Miss. I, I mean, you want a body, but do you really want a guy with just one year who probably ideally wants to be the starter? I can tell you he won't be um, because he's not as good as Dart or, you know, in my opinion, what Walker Howard could be. Um, from Spencer Sanders' viewpoint, I don't understand what he's doing. <laughs> I don't understand why he's going to Ole Miss. I mean, I, I don't – it just makes no sense to me. Am I going to be disappointed if they get all three? Hell no. It's three fully capable quarterbacks that can lead your offense. Uh, I just don't necessarily get it from, like, a lot of different angles. But it's not a negative. It's not like I wouldn't do it. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me for more for Sanders than for Ole Miss, to be honest. Uh, it really – I don't get it. I'm glad you put it that way because I don't understand it either. It's not a bad thing from the Ole Miss standpoint, right? Because this is a talent acquisition business. Get as many talented guys as you possibly can in the room. And you talk about a guy in Spencer Sanders who's basically been, what, a four-year starter at Oklahoma State? I mean, a guy that's thrown, you know, upwards of 300 passes for the last four seasons in college football. You would think that's not a guy that's looking to come hold a clipboard for his final year, I, I'm kind of with you. From the limited amount I've watched of Spencer Sanders over the years, I don't think he's better than Dart. So if you just completely remove Walker Howard from the equation for a second, I don't even understand why he would do it even if Walker Howard wasn't coming. I don't think he can beat out Dart. I figured he'd want to go somewhere where it's almost no questions asked. You're probably the starter unless you're just a complete dud in the spring and fall camp or whatever I, I don't get it. Like, I, I can't even necessarily rationalize it. Again, it's a good thing for Ole Miss. I don't understand it from the Spencer Sanders side of it. But in some ways, and I'm not knocking Ole Miss from taking him, because, again, it's a talent acquisition game. Get as many good guys as you can in the room. But from, like, a chemistry and a message you're sending to Dark standpoint, maybe they don't care about that, and nor should they. I don't know. I don't understand that aspect of it, of bringing him in. Because you can sell a message of – you know, Walker Howard sits for a year, then becomes the die if Dart goes pro and has a good year. If he doesn't go pro, then there's probably a reason for that. And maybe he's not right. the guy. I don't know. Right. I don't know what you're exactly. selling with the Sanders aspect of it. It's just like, hey, we're going to have this guy come in and push you. Other than that, I don't know. I have an entirely impossible time of making any sort of sense from this. Really from like the Ole Miss like chemistry angle, which again, they may not give a shit about at all and good on them if they don't. I'm not saying they should. But particularly from the Sanders side, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Why? Like he surely he has other options, unless they're just paying him an ass load of nil, which I can't imagine for a potential third string guy they are. Yeah, you never know. I mean, there's always you know people forget that like these kids do go to school, and you know, transfer wise, some academics can get kind of wonky. So perhaps that some of his other options, like it just didn't match and work out. 
and that Ole Miss potentially could. Um, but if they end up adding all three, like I could, like, like you said, I can understand if Walker like went to TCU or something. I don't think that's going to be the case that you would bring in Sanders um, because you just, you need a body, you need a quarterback. And, you know, if Dart goes down or something, you know, you have a guy who you believe is capable of doing it, but bring him in with Walker and Dart. That's the message that I don't fully understand. You can buy, you know, Kiffin selling, you know, dart that like howard yeah he's coming to compete uh but like you know you're our guy and he, he's can be the future um but when you bring in sanders too it's like okay we have a guy that can be the future and then now we also brought in a guy to be the present uh because we don't believe in you um because i mean you just I, I don't know you know i don't know what they're selling so it's hard to speculate but it just from all around I don't get it. I don't feel like I'm the only one. I don't feel like you're the only one. I feel like everybody who's covered this recruitment that I've seen has been like, yeah, I mean, he's still probably coming, but we don't just, we just don't know. And yeah, exactly. But like the, you're exactly right. And again, I keep reiterating, it's not a bad thing for Ole Miss. And it's not, not bad. A, this should not be construed as us saying it's a mistake for the coaching staff. No, no, no. Not. I did not, never said the word mistake. No, 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 no. You're, no, I know you didn't. I'm just making no, it. I want it for the, for the, you know, for the people. Yes. Yeah. You know, for our, our loyal fans uh, on the message board that like to criticize. But what the fast, like the, the other side of that coin is, is like, it's just say you were making that argument, which I understand you're not. There's also an aspect of this where we've like, kind of question the idea of Kiffin being able to build real depth via the portal. Maybe there is no message. Maybe it's, we want to get as many capable bodies that are con- that can play in the quarterback room as possible. Look, college football injuries happen and their stupid ass playoff system doesn't really account for that. And doesn't give you any wiggle room for that, but it's not completely uncommon to have a, a guy or a team go through, you know, two quarterbacks to a third, Texas Tech, the team they played in the bowl game did it. Like, it's not uncommon to have two quarterbacks get hurt. So, like, do you think there's a standpoint of, like, there is no message where if if Sanders, like, maybe we, I would assume they prioritize Howard a little bit more. And maybe there is no message. Maybe it's just like, hey, if this Sanders guy really wants to come, hell yeah, we'll take him. Let's get as much talent in that room as possible. Like, maybe it's just that. Yeah, no, that's absolutely could be the case. I wouldn't blame him for it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, this Howard situation, I'm sure there was some at least a little bit of tampering going on, figuring out what he was going to do. But there was no guarantee that he was even getting in the portal. Most people thought it was going to be Nussmeyer. Um, so, I mean, I, I yes, I give credit, a ton of credit to everybody involved in in landing Howard, which I assume is going to happen. Of course, we do not know that. I'm checking my phone, maybe announce it tonight, tomorrow, whenever this comes out. Um, but it's kind of like a small ends don't justify the means situation where, you know, if if Howard doesn't transfer, well, then, yeah, you bring in Sanders. But, um, you know, this is where we're at this point. But if Nussmeyer had been the one who left, you're probably not getting Nussmeyer. You know, he, he's from Texas. His dad's with the Cowboys. He's probably going back there. This was kind of a whirlwind of of luck and, you know, jumping on the opportunity and cashing in and doing it correctly and winning, which is you get all the credit for. But I still, man, it's just a lot of ins don't justify the means situation, which I know is a negative outlook. That's really not how I how I want to portray it, because I think they get all the credit in the world for closing this down because of how much I think about Howard. But you know, there's a lot of other positions too that need some work. I know we're on quarterback now, but you know, if they get all three, that's fantastic. Um, but I, I just counting on the rest of the team being able to fill it with with guys of Howard's stature it is going to be pretty difficult. 
Uh, but not impossible. You know, they prove us wrong every single time, it seems like, or close to it. Um, so I'm fascinated to see what the the portal method can, methodology and thought process with Kiffin and these guys looks like after this uh, window closes and the next one opens. What, Howard was a 2022 kid? Did you do any homework on him while you were still in the building? Do you remember evaluating him from that yes. standpoint or is that off? Yes, I, I know this kid. <laughs> yeah, I, I was all over this kid. I remember. What's we, he do we well? Him. So he was a 21 kid because he was a red shirt during the, the the year last year. So that I was, yes, very involved with that one. I, that's when I was working with Levy. Um, I remember sending the film over COVID. I'm in freaking Baton Rouge and we're doing all this stuff uh, virtually. Um, I mean, initial grade from his sophomore and junior stuff was, was really high. He was an offer guy. Um, he has fantastic mechanics. He's a smart football player. He played in a pretty complex scheme in Lafayette, St. Thomas Moore. Um, played gets really good competition, is accurate, ha- can absolutely rip the ball. Um, like real velocity, like something you just don't see. It's just, it's just either kids have it or they don't. Um, solid arm strength. You know, there's a difference between velocity and arm strength. He's, you know, he's not Mahomes or a club Nick or yours where you can just flick it, you know, 55 yards in the air. 60 yards in the air with ease, but uh, he, he's really good. You know, the negatives are he's still a prospect. You have not seen a lot of snaps in college, so you still don't totally know what you're getting. Uh, he's a good athlete. He's fully capable of scrambling and, you know, making plays outside of the pocket, but he's not a great athlete. I don't, I don't even think he would be like on Matt Corral's level of being able to run the football and kind of make plays on the fly. Um, and he's not the biggest kid in the world. Uh, he's probably six foot and a half, you know, six one if he's wearing some tall cleats. So he's he's not ginormous, but you know, mechanics, arm talent, you know, quick feet, quick hands, accuracy, velocity. He he's got a lot of things that you really, really like. Um, I remember, I mean, shoot, we thought like we were gonna have a pretty good chance in the beginning because uh, you know, he's got family from Mississippi. I think his dad's originally from Mississippi. Obviously, he played quarterback at LSU. And like the initial response from him and the St. Thomas More people was like really positive. And we we're like, okay, like we, we have a chance here. And then like literally two weeks later, he committed to LSU. It was like, it was literally like, it was like, oh, okay, I guess we don't have a, a real shot here. Um, our, our initial, you know, thoughts were were very wrong, clearly, or whatever. I don't know. Um, I mean, his dad's a legacy. It's not that shocking that that would happen, but uh, to have him potentially back is a is a really big deal uh, for the future, for potentially the presence. I mean, he's a really good football player. Is and, I mean, everyone, everyone from the spring to the fall at LSU, any media member was like this kid. Like when you see him throw the ball, it's just simply a little bit different than the other two guys. And the other two guys are pretty good. So I mean, he, there's something there. I don't want to hear. There's going to be so much spin coming when this comes out that, you know, like I mentioned earlier, no chess, you know, couldn't compete, just wasn't as good as we thought he was going to be. That's definitely not the case. This is a very unique situation with a lot of people involved that are not full of shit. These guys know how it runs. I mean, like I said, his dad's been a quarterback before. He knows the name of the game. Um, he redshirted on purpose. You know, all of the above. He, he's a really good football player. I love it. We finally converted you from LSU spy. You're now noted anti-LSU spin guy. So we've just done a full 180 on this podcast. Last question on this. Is Jackson Dart the uh, starting quarterback for Ole Miss in 2023? 
I I think so. I agree. I, My answer is I, I yes. Think I think so. I, I think so. I think that his leash um, will probably not be super long. Um, you know that they get into the swing of it pretty quickly. Um, you know, Mercer obviously will not be difficult. Um, it's barely even a football game, but uh, at Tulane and then shoot, you've got, you know, I think Georgia tech at home or something like that. And then, uh, then Alabama comes, I mean, if he's not ready for that, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but I also wouldn't be surprised if, if Howard starts, but my guess would be that, but that darts the guy. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Isn't this what, isn't this what you want though? Like dart was not the reason Ole Miss stumbled down the stretch last year. No. Not even close, but he was also did not perform head and shoulders above toward it's like, my God, this guy's just willing teams to victory. I like Dart. I think he's talented. I uh, I like his family. I think they're kind of salt of the earth people. Um, I think they've assimilated to the South pretty well. I think he's tough as nails. But again, he was not head and shoulders outstanding enough for to just simply declare, yeah, he's the guy next year, like bar none. Don't, isn't this kind of what you want? Like, if you had a disappointing end of the season, you're trying to retool and find a way to get better. You have to evaluate all positions. Again, he's not the issue, but, like, isn't this kind of in some ways what big boy programs do is just bring in competition and try to figure out any option to get better at any position despite being, you know, fine at that position in 2022, if I would dub it that way. Right. I mean, you just think about what Georgia and Alabama have done in the past years, you know, bringing in like you have Jake Fromm and then you bring in Justin Fields and you have Hertz and you bring in Tua then Mac Jones and Bryce Young, you know, then you know, Stetson kind of came out of nowhere, but they've signed like four or five stars, four stars since then. You, you just keep adding them, especially in this portal era where like got I me, mean, look at Howard, for instance, you know, these guys just, they leave, you never know. You literally never know what's going to happen year to year to year. And, you know, taking the spot from an incumbent starter is very difficult. I mean, I, I, this this scenario with Howard and what LSU fans have been talking about, I mean, you think about it like Daniels won the SC West. He is going to be your starting quarterback next year. You think about Jake Fromm at Georgia. He won the East, brought him to national championship. Why was Fields not playing? Because you're just not taking his job because he's your guy. You know, was that the correct decision? That'll be I don't think it was. Look what Fields did at Ohio State. Right. But you have to live with the consequences, as LSU will. I mean, Jalen Hurts was a starter and was pulled during the national championship game. Tua comes back and wins the game. And people are like, this guy was starting, was behind Jalen Hurts. Like this, this guy was, you know, sitting. And, you know, they were like, yeah, because Jalen Hurts brought us to a national championship the year before. It's incredibly difficult to supplant an incumbent quarterback that has been incredibly successful and accomplished a lot, especially with an quote unquote unknown. I don't think that's the same situation with Dart and Howard here when he, if he comes, when he comes in the spring, um, Howard, I mean, Dart, you know, he was really good, but he's definitely not irreplaceable. He's definitely not, you know, taking full control. I mean, he barely took full control of it last year. I'm a huge fan of him. I, I think he can even get even better and be really, really good. But you bring in as many guys as you can. Um, look, again, span, the Sanders thing is weird. But you, you know what? It's not a, it's not a negative. Um, Howard is definitely a positive. And Dart has never had the luxury in his career of being in a comfortable position, whether the dysfunction at USC, he was not the starter, he comes to Ole Miss, he's in a quarterback competition. 
I'm not saying that you just give Dart the job, you let him feel comfortable, and you get a worse version of Dart. I don't mean to insinuate that, but this could bring out a better version of Dart, making him kind of stay razor sharp and compete throughout the spring and summer. I know some of that always ends up sounding cliche, but I do think there is some merit to that, do you not? It's just keeping the kid on his toes, making him continuously compete. You could get the best version of Dart out of all this too, could you not? Yeah, you absolutely could. I think it's an important thing to to kind of like, you know, put some feet to the fire here and there to to see kind of what you got with some real competition. And he had it last year and he, he came through the guy. Um, I think the flip side is that you're about to get to see Walker Howard actually be able to compete for a starting quarterback job. You know, last year that that was not the case. He was never going to be the starter. Um, you, you can see what you have in him for the future and for potentially the present as well. Um, cause it'll be his first time like coming in and actually competing with a real chance to, to play. Um, and then, you know, if Dart still beats him out and you're like, wow, you know, this kid we brought in is pretty damn good, but I think our guy's even better Then you're still in the same position. And even a, really you're even in a better position because you've got a really capable, uh, room now. So it, it's, it's just all positives. It, it all is positives. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. We've got quite a few months to see how it shakes out. It is now time to wrap up the pod with the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. I actually woke up. I didn't have anything to do last weekend. Woke up on Saturday and Sunday morning. Did you wake up at 6.30? Oh, no, not 6.30. We went with the 9.30 slate. I caught the second half of Arsenal, and I think it was either Brighton or Everton who just absolutely pummeled Arsenal over the weekend. A uh, big win for whatever blue uh, team Bright, that was. Brighton pummeled Liverpool. Liverpool. That's, that's what it was. Game Excuse me. Yeah. Not Arsenal. Liverpool. That's actually what I was thinking. I was about to give my credit, self-credit for soccer court. I'm sitting there thinking, wow, they're just picking off the top team in the EPL. And I was like, oh, shit, different red team. This is Liverpool, not Arsenal. But as we sit here in the standings, Arsenal, now an eight-point lead over Man City with uh, Saudi Castle one point behind them at 38 points. Uh, are they going to actually pull this off? I think, I mean, you're halfway through the league right now. Um, they have, I think, one loss in 18 games. Uh, I mean, they are, yeah, this this absolutely could happen. This absolutely is, is looking towards, I mean, they are eight points free of City, nine of United, both United's, Newcastle and Manchester. Um, Tottenham's not winning the league. So yeah, I mean they are they are now officially I think they said like this uh, more likely they win it than they don't at this point, um, which is a credit to them. I mean this is a, a true case of t- trust the process because I think a season ago, two seasons ago they were on the I mean dire straits with with Arteta. I mean it was not good, not looking out, and they just kind of stayed the course. They believed in the project. And they are now fully reaping the benefits. Uh, I mean, they they really handled uh, Tottenham in the North London Derby on Sunday. Um, I mean, just with with kind of relative ease. I mean, they, they are just on fire right now. They have lost one game to uh, Manchester United, who we'll get to later. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they are the, I mean, clear favorite as of right now. So you mentioned Manchester United at the beginning of this season, kind of being a dumpster fire. As you, as a Man United fan, were very disappointed in that. But I got to say, they're now fourth in the Premier League, or technically tied for third, but in the standing it says fourth. I'm not going to about to decipher tiebreakers for the EPL here. But they're top four. They're a point out of second place. I will juxtapose that with, you know, you talk about this dumpster fire. Well, I see Chelsea in 10th place at 28 points. Are they not the new dumpster fire? What the hell's going on with that? That seems terrible. 
So we'll start with United. Um, yes, the beginning of the season was atrocious. Um, everything changed when Cristiano left. Everything changed for the better. Ooh, bad locker room guy. Bad, bad, bad locker room guy. It just it puts your best eleven on the field. Um, Marcus Rashford is the most informed player in the world. He has scored uh, in his last eight games. He he's been incredible. Um, the team, Casemiro, we bought him from Real Madrid. People thought it was way too much money for a guy in his 30s, and he's been debatably the best uh, midfielder, you know, defensive midfielder in the league this year. He's been incredible. Um, we, we've won eight games in a row, nine games in a row. I mean, it's just a completely different squad. Um, it, it's honestly just been miraculous. What, what Ten Hag has done with this team from just a culture standpoint, from a scheme standpoint, the way they play, the way they defend. I mean, he's been, you know, using guys at, you know, center back and left back that are supposed to be at other positions. I mean, Luke Shaw is our left back, played at center back against City and the best striker in the league, and literally he didn't get a shot on target. I mean, it's just it's just stupid shit like that. I mean, it was – they beat City 2-1, uh, to one, a semi-controversial offside um goal but it was honestly one of the weirdest things I've ever seen I, I couldn't even explain to you like the rule and how it worked out um I can understand some frustration but it was a massive win they haven't beaten them in a long time they haven't beat them at home in a few years um and it kind of solidified them as you know they're they're in this thing now I mean they are they are in this race um especially for top four um but I mean in reality they play Crystal Palace tomorrow Wednesday afternoon and They've got Arsenal this weekend. If they get six points out of that, I mean, they're officially in this thing. Um, it's been a just incredible turnaround. They, they've been just – it's been a joy. Like, literally, I, I got so excited when they won that game um, Saturday morning because it's kind of just like a proof of concept. You know, they've kind of ripped through some of the lower-tier teams uh, in the past few weekends. They finally got their rival, got them at home, and, I mean, they they really outplayed them the entire match, and that is – Absolutely something they have not done in a long time. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, has got to be the most boring team in this league. Um, they are injured all over the place. Uh, they have no goal scorers. They uh, they just bought a $100 million uh, kid from Shakhtar Donetsk, a uh, Ukrainian kid who is electric. But the guy that owns him, he's an American guy, and I, I just don't think he gets it. I mean, he's just throw, they've spent like almost half a billion dollars in the past year on guys, and their team is getting worse. It, it's what United used to do, and you know, at some points they kind of still do it. Um, they used to be one of the best run teams when Abramovich, the Russian oligarch, was there. Um, from the youth league to the way they did transfers, you know, they they struggled signing strikers, but everything else they were pretty damn good at uh they are just falling apart they are they are legitimately bad right now um, why did they, they not sack the manager that feels like a rite of passage when things stop going well i mean it, it's it ain't far away from that i mean they just hired him i this all is i would say definitely not necessarily completely his fault um with the injuries they've had and the kind of the squad they had the lack of depth that honestly i thought they had a lot of it but you kind of watch their games you're like man like who are these kids that are playing i mean they they subbed on like three or four guys I've literally never even heard of, like some youth guys that that came wow. on in one of their last matches. I was like, Jesus Christ, like this is this is this is bleak. Um, 
Yeah, it's not good. It's not good for Liverpool either. I mean, they're in nine. Yeah, what's to do with that? That was my next question. They're, they shouldn't be disclosed from this kind of shitting on Blue Bloods bandwagon we're going on here. They're ninth. What's going on with that? I've, I'd heard of them before we started this segment. What's up with them? Uh, it's just another situation. They've had a lot of injuries as well. Um, they've spent a lot of money on two strikers. You know, Darwin Nunez, who is like has all the tools, but just fucking can't score a goal to save his life. Um, they lost Sadio Mane, who was a, a Senegalese player. Uh, he's at Bayern Munich now. Um, clearly was uh, just so much more of a glue to that team than I think anybody realized. Um, Salah was always seen as the uh, like the superstar, and he still is, but he's been out of form. Nunez is out of form. Tiago has been hurt in and out. Um, Henderson's old and just can't keep up with the, these young midfielders in this league, and it's so deep. Virgil van Dijk's had the worst. He's there probably was one of the best defenders in the world. Probably still is. He's had his worst season by far. Um, they're just injured and inconsistent and just not very good right now. And I think that could change pretty quickly with getting some guys back, but this is a tough league. If you don't have the squad depth to like overcome injuries, which really happen in the sport more than people would think, they think it's not physical, but it, fuck you watch some of these games. It really is. Um, especially with some of these soft tissue stuff. They just haven't had the guys to come in and do it. Um, you know, some of that's unlucky and some of that's just the way that they've dealt with their squad over the past few years. They, they've just not addressed areas of concern and it's just bit them in the ass. Well, last thing, one of the, the main things I noticed is I just dive deep into the research of the EPL is the three teams that got promoted this summer, none of them are in relegation spots. You talk about yo-yo clubs, None of them are in the spot. So the three teams that got promoted were Fulham, Nottingham Forest, and AFC Bournemouth. Now, AFC Bournemouth is not out of the weeds yet. They're 17th. They're one point away from the relegation zone. But you got Fulham that's sixth in the Premier League at 31 points. What do they have going on there? Just an absolute freight train from hell. Um, they've just been really good this season. I mean, they've, they've, they're pretty deep. Um, the owner of Fulham is also the owner of the Jaguars. I don't know if we've talked about that. Um, so oh, Shad Khan getting in the yeah, mix. Pretty big, pretty big week for him. Uh, Huge week. I mean, they're not staying at sixth and they're not competing for fifth. I mean, they're, they're they'll be a mid, a mid table team once it comes, comes to, you know, fruition. We're like halfway through and, uh, they've out, uh, they probably overexceeded some expectations. Their XG, they, they probably scored a few more goals. They probably should have. I think you're going to see a fall off from them, but they've been man, pretty damn good so far. And then the other two, Forrest is kind of rounding into form a little bit. Uh, they they started off pretty poor, a lot of new players. And I guess their, their thought process has kind of worked with them, bringing some guys in and kind of figuring it out on their own. Um, they're, they're getting a few more results. Bournemouth is just a team I don't ever watch. I really don't know what's going on there. Um, they've had some pretty big results. They've had some pretty pretty shitty ones. Um, they'll, I think both Forest and Bournemouth will be in the relegation competition because <laughs> yeah. uh, it's pretty damn tight. But they might they might end up staying up because the three that are in there right now are just are in absolute you know just complete turmoil. Well, that's what I was going to ask is the last thing. The three in the relegation zone currently are West Ham, Everton, and Southampton. I would go off the basis of which clubs I'd ever remotely heard of before. I'd have heard of West Ham. I'd heard of Everton. Not much on Southampton. What would be the biggest disgrace of the three if, which, if they got relegated? Oh, Everton for sure. Um, really? I mean, the Everton, the like the executive team was like literally barred from going to the match this weekend because of like violent threats to them. Oh. Oh, Yeah. They had protests, you know, walkouts, walk-ins, whatever. They ended up getting their, you know, they ended up losing 
to Southampton 2-1, actually, I think, um, if I remember that correctly. Uh, they suck. They they are terrible. And it's weird because, like, they have some pretty talented kids on that team. Frank Lampard, you know, I don't know how he got that job after being fired from Chelsea where he used to play. Like, he has done absolutely nothing to help them. I, it would be legitimately shocking if they did not go down. They are They are really, really bad. The other two – you, West Ham is kind of – they had a great few seasons, and they've really, really had a lot of struggles this year, even though they've spent some money. They're, they're, they've kind of become like a, an up-and-comer club, not because they're in the league, but because of like they've the way they've been competing in the league, you're qualifying for Europa and everything, and that brings in a lot more money. Uh, Brand-new stadium. So it would be wildly disappointing if they went down. I just don't anticipate that. Uh, Southampton, a really young squad – like really, really young. I mean, a lot of their best players are like really young loanees from like Manchester City and Liverpool and other uh, pretty big clubs. And they've kind of, sh- they've just really been kind of unlucky, honestly. Um, they're not very good. And that's just a, that's just a fact. Uh, so they're, they're going to be fighting in this, in this area too, but they're a team that's pretty, you know, they're usually in the mid tables. It's seeing them this low at this point uh, is a little odd. I mean, it's not crazy, but um they're definitely struggling. Oh, as we're repeatedly reminded on this soccer corner segment, you think American sports are wild. Can you imagine if it's just like, hey, actually, we're not. Keith Carter's not going to be at Ole Miss Auburn because we've had a couple credible murder threats. So we're actually going to keep him in the bunker. Literally what happened. Literally. Just an absolute. What, what an absolute wild show. Just quite the spirit from the Brits. This has been Soccer Corner, the fastest growing segment on American soil. He is Weldon Rodenberg. Great stuff as always, my man. We'll uh we'll send you off into somewhat hibernation. Talk to you a little bit here before spring football. Sounds good, man. See you. All right, that was Weldon. Appreciate his time as always. Colin Brister and I will be back on Friday with a little bit of a baseball preview. It's uh that time as Ole Miss starts preseason practice, I believe, on Friday. So going to get Colin on to chat uh, about the uh, defending national champions, what to expect in 2023, and uh, you know a lot of different stuff. So be on the lookout for that. You all have a great uh, rest of your week, and we'll holler at you tomorrow.